Kyra and Brendan Hack. Kyra had always had a passion for travel and Brendan a love for motorsports. They enjoyed both activities and were going on about their life as many couples do. But after a couple of life-altering events, they found themselves sort of reevaluating what they were doing in their lives. And what they came up with was that this was the time in life for them to do something big, a big trip. They decided to blend Brendan's love of motorsports with Kira's passion for travel into a ride two up from Canada to Ushuaia. A careful and detailed plan was hatched that would see them riding for about a year. That plan, of course, didn't roll out as it was supposed to, and it was nearly two years later when they arrived back home. But when they did, they realized that that big trip didn't satisfy what they were after. They had a different mindset. They realized they couldn't return to their old life, that they wanted to keep traveling. But if they were going to do it, they had to change some things, like the motorcycle, the ride style, and some ties to home. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Manikin, Simon, 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 one ounce of oil gets a thousand miles or 1600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets, motobreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American made heavy duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. My name is Kyra. And my name is Brendan. And we are a Canadian couple who's been traveling around, living a nomadic life for the last six years. Brendan and Kyra, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks for having us, Jim. Thank you. And where are you guys right now? We are currently in Tajikistan. And headed to? Uh, I believe next, uh, you know, before winter hits, we'll try and go to Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, you know, see as much of uh, Central Asia as we can before it gets too cold and we need to park it for the winter. And Kyra, what's the big picture for you? Well, we're just kind of taking each day as it comes. And right now that's just, you know, motorcycle traveling and um, it could, we're not sure, you know, it could change next year. Um, yeah. Yeah. It definitely changes frequently with us. Um, we tend to not really make plans because the plans always tend to change, you know, whether 
that's uh, you know our own doing or just uh, life. Life, you know. So, what were you guys doing before all this happened? Before the motorcycles? Before travel? Well, um, we've always loved camping and being outside, and friends always love motorcycles and. Um, you know, it's kind of been a progression, I guess, to start traveling the world by motorcycle. It started out with us taking just like trips down south for vacation. And then, you know, that wasn't quite exciting enough. So then we would go to a country without, you know, it was first like, um, all-inclusive resort kind of vacation. And that just, yeah, it wasn't exciting for us. So we started going to countries and not booking any accommodations and we rented a scooter and then the next trip after that it was renting a motorcycle and kind of going from hotel to hotel um and actually i think what first kind of sparked travel for or like the idea of like long-term travel was when we were in honduras was it honduras in 2013 and we met some people uh liveaboarding on a sailboat mm. and we thought we could do that. That sounds pretty cool. And so for our anniversary that year, I bought Brent a book on how to live aboard a sailboat. <laughs> and <laughs> and Brent read it and he said, yeah, we're not ready for that. Like, <laughs> And so he was like, but maybe we could do a motorcycle. Like, I, I know motorcycles. And so I think that's kind of when the first seed got planted. Um, and then, yeah, we went to Nicaragua and we rented a motorcycle and traveled around on that. Um, but at that point, I think it was just a dream, like something you talk about, you do want to do one day. Um, but then in 2014, Bren's brother passed away. Um, it was six months before our wedding and... Oh, wow. Six months after our wedding, my stepbrother passed away. Oh, jeez. Is this related? No, no, totally separate. That's true. So, yeah, it was a hard year for us. And I think that's the point where this was, it became like, like, we have to do this right now. Um, the, when my stepbrother passed away for me specifically, I'd been wanting to quit my job for months and, for a long time, I was very unhappy. And my first day back to work after my my stepbrother passed, I quit. And my boss was like, are you sure? Like, do you want to just take more time off? Because I didn't take a lot of time off. And I was like, no, I've never been more sure of something in my life. And I took that summer off and I volunteered um, and found little jobs here and there. I just like took some time to like heal. I was hiking we started taking more longer motorcycle trips just to like get away. And, and I explored hobbies. Like I was working for a guy doing assistant photography and I worked at a horse farm for their, like a therapeutic horse farm, like just was doing a bunch of different things. And that's when I started our blog at the time. It was a blog at the time, adventure hacks. And I was going to write, adventure hacks. <laughs> mm. And about our, our, you know, I was hiking all the time. So like, it was like local things like, you know, the best waterfalls in the area or how to pack for a backpacking trip, you know, these kinds of things. And that's when I think it got really serious um, about making this trip happen. 
What was it that you, you felt you needed to find or what you're looking for after your stepbrother passed? Like why um, quit your job? What was it? Was the motivation there? Cause I was unhappy and life's too short to be unhappy. And I was like, I can't live another day. Like I could die tomorrow. Like, you know, just both of us losing a sibling at such, you know, when your grandparents pass, you know, that's the part of, you know, the circle of life. Right. Yeah, but when yeah. your siblings pass away and like, it's just like, whoa, that could be me. And it was like, we have to do this now. There might not be a later. And I think, um, you know, before, you know, any of this had happened, you know, we had a, a ton of hobbies that all revolved around these motorsports. Um, you know, so when, you know, when this kind of storm hit our lives, that's where we escaped to, you know, we, we used the motorcycle or the boat and snowmobiles, whatever, you know, I've always been into these motorsports. Um, that was the escape. That was the getaway. And, you know, at the time, I don't think we knew, okay, this is going to, you know, we're going to go crazy and just, you know, live on the motorcycle. Um, you know, we, we didn't see that far into the future, but it, it definitely grew into that. And then it hit us one day, like, you know what, these little trips aren't quite long enough. You know, we always want more, you know, we're gone for four days at a time, five days at a time. And then it was like, you know what, let's, let's start planning to be gone for a year, you know? And yeah, I think that was the beginnings. Yeah, it was supposed to just be a year initially. <laughs> when you say motorsports, Brendan, different motorsports that you were doing and you, that was your sort of getaway, I mean, you get a certain thing from that, a certain uh, experience that you would get from that. But then when you move into traveling a little bit further, even you know within Canada, is, is that a different thing for you? Is that a, is that a changeover from the motorsports? Um, yeah, definitely. I think that was kind of like the merger between you know, mine and Kyra's, uh, hobbies, right? Like I was about the, the actual motor sports and Kyra was more about the travel. So we merged these two and started integrating other hobbies into it as well. Um, yeah, but it's a different thing for sure. Cause you're not always out there just, uh, you know, ripping it up. <laughs> yeah. You, you know? sort of look at the machine as something a little bit different. I would think at that point. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You got to, you, you're not going back to the shop every night with your nice tools and everything to fix what you broke. <laughs> you know, you got to <laughs> right. see it through the journey. So what is it you did for a living back then? Uh, I did uh, plumbing, uh, HVAC technician, mm -hmm. gas, fitting. gas fitting, like yeah, building trades. Right. And is that something you were very satisfied with when you were doing that? Uh, yeah, I, I like my job for sure. Um, you know, it's a challenge. Definitely. You know, each day you don't know what you're running into, you know, so a lot of diagnostic work and dealing with people and, and stuff. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I enjoyed it. You guys first came up with a, a plan, what, to, to ride to South America? Yeah, I don't know. There was always, this was always something I, even when I was younger, I just told myself, oh, one day I'm going to ride my motorcycle to the tip of South America and Oh, you already had it. So you were already planning like, or, or at least dreaming about riding a motorcycle to South America then, right? As yeah. A kid. I, I always had this idea and I don't even know where it came from, to be honest. Um, but then, you know, with these little trips and we'd have done a couple small motorcycle trips in Central America. And, you know, by this point, we had probably done 60,000 kilometers of roads just in British Columbia. Um, 
which is like almost every road in the province. <laughs> um, so we thought, no, let's do something big. You know, let's plan this grand one-year trip down to the tip of South America. Um, this at the time, you know, the the physical trip part of it wasn't the hard part. It was, it was how do we pull ourselves out of regular life? You know, we actually had a business at this point. Like, hired, quit her job, and she shuffled into the lead role of the office work, the accounting, the bookkeeping, and stuff. Um, but having to shut that down, you know, we have had a house just to to reel back all the life commitments. You know, that was a that was a big challenge. I don't think anybody actually took us seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like all our close friends and family. Um, it wasn't until maybe like a week before we left and we we're planning this like departure party that anyone really took it seriously. Because <laughs> oh, really? I'm thinking that, you know, you've got the house, like you said, you've started a business. I mean, that sounds like your life is on a certain trajectory. And then all of a sudden one day you say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to close this up. That's quite a left turn. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it was, it was years in the making. Like this wasn't something we just decided and a couple weeks later we were gone, you know, mm-hmm. like, to save money and to slowly, you know, to, in order to save these kind of finances, we slowly start dialing back our, you know, our hobbies and, you know, basically the output of our everyday lives. So, you know, it was maybe the course of two or three years that we, yeah, we were saving. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think, yeah, we're excited. We're telling people about it early on, but couple of years tick by and, and nobody thinks you're actually going. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. It's, it's you've, you've talked too much and not, and not done enough in, in most people's eyes, but people don't realize, I think for a lot of times, you don't realize how much, how much it takes to actually save the kind of money that you need to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, I initially, I that. thought that for sure, you know, the <laughs> first, the first time around for sure. Um, you know, it seems like a lot. And now it's not so much that that's changed for you. It has, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. after this, after this big one-year trip, that was two years. That ended up turning into two years. You know, we we came home, and you know, we had a bit of a idea that hey, like we're not done with this lifestyle yet. You know, it's been two years. You know, we need to rebuild the bank account, um, and we ended up making that happen in in eight months. So, we knew wow. how much how much money we needed to make for two years of travel. And so we always said, you know, we will work for one year or until we can make X amount of dollars. And we did that in eight months, but COVID happened. Um, so we ended up working a bit longer than that. Um, so we just surpassed two years back on the road. Mm-hmm. Did you go back to your old jobs? Is that why it was easy to, to get into work and start making money right mm-hmm. away? No. So actually to, I mean, it's kind of jumping around here a bit, I guess. But so when we, when we got back from South America... We, you know, we, we went back to our, our hometown and, and neither of us are actually from where we lived in British Columbia. So, you know, our, you know, it's not like our roots are really there. We have, you know, a ton of friends and, and both my parents live there. Um, but we were, we were back for maybe a few weeks and just the reverse culture shock hit us pretty hard. And we were like, you know, we're, we're actually not ready for this lifestyle after what we've been living for the last two years. So we we took off on a trip across Canada to the East coast, um, you know, just to kind of sort our, ourselves out a bit, I guess. Um, and it wasn't until we were on the East coast, we were camping on the ocean somewhere and we decided, um, you know what, let's yeah, Okay. We're, we need to commit to some work here, but why don't we make it interesting and let's not go back to where we had lived previously. Let's go somewhere completely new, you know, treat it like a, 
kind of like a working vacation or something. Um, so then we decided let's go to Vancouver Island and let's let's work there, um, save up our money, and in the meantime we can see some new things, you know, experience a different little bit of a different lifestyle. So so yeah, no, it wasn't easy. <laughs> it wasn't like we just went back to jobs we knew. We started from scratch, you know, new jobs, new town, new everything. We'd previously been pre or um, self employed as well, so we were going back also to working for somebody else, which was a challenge. I want to jump back to the South American trip. I want to talk about that a little bit. So we, we, this is back when you're, you know, this first big trip and you talked about your, your, uh, you're coming up with the idea, the sailboat, maybe the people traveling or living on the, aboard the sailboat being a bit of an impetus for this thing. How does this all start out? So you, you sit down and you, you plan the trip out and you're, you're talking about saving money. Can you talk a little bit more about that, that process? Yeah. So I guess, you know, while we're working and saving towards this, this trip, you know, we're making the plans, you know, like maybe not specific routes, but just starting to look into, you know, what the logistics of actually doing this are. Um, you know, in the meantime, we're still going on our, on our local bike trips and stuff. Um, so I guess, you know, eventually you just got to pick a date. So, you know, we picked a date, okay, we're leaving on X day. Um, you know, money's saved, you know, everything's wrapped up and ready to go. Um, as much as possible, you know, we're going to rent our house out, you know, the business will just shut it down for a bit. Um, but we were kind of at a bit of a, bit of a hiccup, I guess. I mean, so I have a bit of an issue traveling through the States without, (laughs) without prior, uh, approval. So, so, you know, I have to do this application process to go through the U S and we had done this already maybe a year prior to, you know, our takeoff date and still hadn't heard anything, still hadn't heard anything. So we decide, well, we've set the date, you know, we have renters coming to the house. We got to go anyway. So we ended up traveling for about a month through Western Canada, you know, a bit of a shakedown tour, make sure our gear's right. You know, everything's feeling good with the bike and ourselves. Um, but we hit a point where we still hadn't heard back. So we had to... We just had to make a decision. So we decided, okay, well, we're just going to ship the motorcycle to Mexico and we'll just pick it up from there. And this is where the journey will start, I guess. So this is something that's going to stop you from entering the U.S. You, you've got to make sure they're going to allow you to cross the border. And that's the, the worry there. You don't want to show up at the border and have them say you can't go. Well, or, or could you not just test it? Well, we could test it, but it's, you know, from everything I'd learned up until this point, um, it's always just worse off down the road if you actually get denied. Like, I'd never been denied entry into the U.S. So we're trying to go through, you know, do things properly and just go through the, the process. But we hadn't heard anything. And we're like, you know what, let's, whatever, let's just keep it rolling. You know, like, we're not going to let this little hiccup stop us. So, you know, we made some arrangements and we got the the bike all crated up and ready to ship down to Mexico. Um, it was supposed to take uh, three weeks and it was going to be, you know, three weeks where we could just take a bit of a break. We'd already been on the road for a month. Um, you know, it was getting cold fall in Canada. Now we're flying down to Cancun for a little bit of a beach vacation. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, this was not a bad thing, right? We weren't sad about it, but then, we get down to Mexico and, you know, the three week date is approaching, you know, and the, the, sorry, also, the bike is coming by sea. It was kind of a combination. Um, we went through a freight forwarder and it was a little bit by truck and a little bit by sea. 
I see. Um, yeah, so we're almost ready to pick the bike up, and then we just we kept getting delays. You know, though it's delayed, it's delayed. You know, it was a few days, and then a few weeks, and you know, we never knew the full scope of it. You know, we were just it just kept getting pushed. You know, and then eventually we hear, oh, the bike is in Belgium, and the bike is here, and and this this three weeks ended up turning into three months. Oh, so. Wow. This, you know, this was the start of our grand one year adventure. And, you know, there's a quarter of it gone already. So, so how do you, what do you feel? What do you guys, what do you guys feel at this point? Like three months in and it seems like everything's just kind of falling apart. It, I don't know. Was, points were discouraging for sure, but we're just I'll making bet. the best. We're just making the best of it at this point, I guess. So... Um, yeah, so, you know, we, we carried on, you know, the day when we finally got the bike back was great, you know, cause all our stuff was also in the crate with this bike. So we couldn't camp, we couldn't, you know, we just had oh, two, right. two small backpacks with us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we get the bike back and we thought, okay, well this pushed, you know, our, our whole planning we had done up until this point, because there's, you know, there's seasons that, you know, kind of roll through Central America, um, which the main effect of that is that during hurricane season, the sailboats don't go from Panama to Colombia. And this was going to be our method of traversing the Darien Gap. Um, so we had a decision. We're like, well, we can either rush, you know, three weeks to get down to Panama and, and hit the sailboat and make it to Colombia, or we can just take our time, which was going to be, you know, a few months. I think it was three eight, or four. I think eight months. Was it was like it was three or four months anyway that we had to kind of slow things down, Um, but we thought, well, whatever, let's let's slow it down. We're not in a rush, you know. This one year thing already is kind of out the window, um, which wasn't a big deal. So we we just slowed it down. We really explored Central America, you know, every country we feel we got to see in depth. So again, we just made the best of it. It wasn't such a bad thing. Um, Just, Just let me jump back there too with planning. Because when you planned this, you did spend some time going, you know, maybe being a little bit more rigid with the plan than, of course, than what you would be now with checking routes and, and getting maps and things. Because at one point, didn't you get maps for all the countries you planned to go through? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't a natural thing for us. So like on all our previous trips that we had done, um, you know, by this point, we had been touring around for years, you know, all those smaller timelines, you know, we had crushed a lot of kilometers, but we were never good at planning. We never really put too much thought into planning. You know, we would spend 90% of our time driving away from home and then we'd have to rush back, you know, in like a, a single day just to, to make it to work the next day. Right. So, you know, so when this big trip came up and all of a sudden, you know, we felt that we needed this level of planning, it, it, it wasn't natural. So I think we probably didn't plan right, even when we thought we were planning. Well, we were planning over two to three years, right? So we were excited. And so you're buying these maps and you're, you're kind of thinking about it all the time and over a long period of time. So, and I, and I think even then, like we had planned so much, like this is how it's going to go. We're going to get the bike and we're going to travel through Central America, but then it got delayed three months. And then when to continue, when we got to Panama, it turns out that our sailing trip was canceled anyways because there was some bureaucratic crap going on. And mm. it was it was like, okay, now what? And now, so then we had to fly. And 
and then at that point we were like, we're not making any more plans. We're just like, this is pointless. Like we'll just Mm -hmm. make it up as we go because every single thing it seemed that we did plan in advance didn't go the way we were expecting it to go anyways. Oh, right. And that, that was a lot of detailed plans like routes and, and, and all of this looking at maps, which, which I wouldn't think would be a, a waste anyway, because I mean, it fuels your excitement for the adventure and also gives you the possibilities of something that can be done. But it does really um, point towards the, the idea of trying to nail a trip like this down. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think what the big takeaway for us, you know, especially after the, the sailing fell through, you know, which was something we held up as like a, you know, a bit of a a beacon, you know, when things got tough, like, you know, we're going to do this five day sail. And, you know, when that fell through, our dreams were crushed a little bit, but then we realized, you know, I, I, we've, drove to the airport and the next day the bike was on a plane and, and we're in Bogota. Like it, it happened so quick mm-hmm. though. We just, we just kind of scrapped all the planning. We're like, you don't actually need to, to plan stuff. Yeah. Okay. There's some things you need to look into in advance, but, um, but for the way we were traveling, what we wanted to do, it didn't make sense to look so far into the future. Um, well, so for example, when we packed on that first trip, now we were on one bike, we were two up on one bike then. Um, over the, I don't know, months leading up to when we were leaving and we were also packing up our house cause we were renting it. We would like set up all our gear in the living room and like lay it all out and be like, pack it up and, t- and just kind of go over all the gear, like meticulously. And then on, when we left, once COVID eased up and we were able to travel, we just threw all our junk in the crate and we're like, eh, we'll sort it out when we get there. Like we just like, <laughs> it was just a total different experience the second time around. And, and, and just comparing those two experiences, is the end result any different? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, planning too much builds a bit of an expectation, I think. And, um, of just how things are going to go. And I don't know. I just, you know, we, we know what we need to, to keep the wheels rolling. We know what kind of gear we need. We, we know what kind of roads we like to do. Um, you know, so and if you don't have it, you can just buy it on the road. You know, like most of the stuff is cheaper in other countries. I mean, there's certain things you can't, it's really difficult to get in other countries, but for the most part, you can just get it on the road. It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, once, once we realized that and, and even the, that second half of the first trip, you know, things were just a little better. I would say, you know, we could just go where we felt like when we felt like doing it, you know, you're open to suggestions and recommendations from people, um, you know, instead of having such a strict routine. I don't even research like a country before we go anymore. Um, I used to like spend hours looking at like top 12 things to do in this country. And, and, you know, when you just show up to a country, you almost feel like you're experienced. You're like the first person you're like discovering things. Whereas when you pre-search it and you get there, it can be a disappointment sometimes because the pictures aren't exactly the way it's supposed to be. People are editing out the power lines or the people or whatever it is. And, you know, some people will say, oh, well, you'll miss out on really great stuff. Well, that just wasn't my journey. You know, like that wasn't meant for me to stumble across that. Um, Mm -hmm. So... So better to, to discover. I mean, yeah, I, I you know, I, I totally get what you're saying, but I, I think that um, it's easy to fear when, before you go, 
especially if you haven't done it, it's easy to fear that um, you're going to walk into something, you know, that you should know something about this, that you should do your due diligence. I mean, if, if anything ever went wrong, that's what people would say to you, right? They'd say, well, why didn't you look it up? It's so easy. You can just check it on the internet. Yeah. Well, what kinds of things are we talking about? You know, like if you're going to Afghanistan, yes, of course, you're going to look into the dangers of going to a country like this. But if you're going to like Greece, you know, it's a bit different, I think. Sure. But if you were going to Colombia and you end up wandering into the, the wrong area or, or something like that, or even Mexico yeah, for that matter. For sure. But I think these are also things that can be almost better found out when your boots are on the ground exactly, as well. Like, yeah. you know, obviously with a grain of salt, but I mean, um, you know, these are concerns we had when we got to Colombia specifically as well. And, you know, so we started talking to people, we started asking locals in, in certain regions, you know, because we're, we're just going off in the middle of nowhere camping and stuff. And just people tell you what it's like, right? And and specifically for Colombia, you know, they told us, well, if you run into an area you shouldn't be in, there's going to be a line of guys with machine guns and they're going to tell you to turn around and you listen. So, <laughs> right. you know, so that's that's the advice we took and, and we didn't have any issues. So, so uh, what bike were you riding and how did that work out? Uh, we had a KTM 1290 Super Adventure for that first trip, um, mm-hmm. which was, uh, you know, it was a really amazing machine with such great potential. Um, but unfortunately, we were plagued with some um, suspension issues that like almost the whole trip, um, you know, every 10,000 kilometers, some major component would fail. And it was, yeah, it was like something different each time you mean? Yeah, different, like, so the the ECU that controls everything failed, and we had some sensor issues, and we had a monoshock fail, um, and just this revolving thing, you know, right up until, like, we actually shipped a broken motorcycle home to Canada, because it just, it was every 10,000 kilometers, roughly, something would go wrong. Um, oh, that's know. too bad. Yeah, so it, other than that, it was an amazing machine, but um, it definitely... Well, and often a lot of the times we'd go to these KTM shops and they would be like, I'm sorry, we're not familiar with big bikes. You're going to have to go to the next shop. And we'd have to ride this pogo stick to, <laughs> to the next country or next major city. So, mm-hmm. When you shipped it home, was it at the end of the trip or did you replace it partway through? No, at the end of the trip. Um, oh, I see. At, at the end of South America, yeah. So. And, and that's, I guess, I'm assuming that's why you changed to the Honda, the XRs? Yeah, there there was a few reasons. That was definitely one reason. I mean, even if the motorcycle didn't have any issues with it, I mean, we had lots of talks about Kyra getting onto her own bike and, you know, just having that big motorcycle for myself is not realistic. So, you know, we started thinking about what's a good fit for both of us. And um, yeah, that's how we ended up on the XRs. a new best friend. It's called The Hugger, made by Burley's Possum Socks. I'm telling you, this thing is the ticket for comfort, warmth, and even good looks. Let me explain. Pearly's has invented a new sweater designed for us motorcyclists, but honestly, I don't think they realize what they've got here because I'm an outdoors person, have been my whole life. I think I've probably told you that before. I always dress for the weather and I've been layering my clothing since I was a 
preteen and, and started backpacking. So I've tried many, many combinations over the years. And I thought what I found was the best. And I did. It was the best at the time. It was the best for many years. The Merino wool sweater. I've been wearing them for decades. But not long ago, Duke Lambert, the owner of Pearly's Possum Socks, told me that they had a prototype of a sweater that they wanted me to try. I was seriously intrigued because I've already been blown away by the performance of and quality of Pearly's Possum Socks, so I wanted to see what they've got. Well, my first impressions taking this thing out of the package was first, it was incredibly soft, and second, it looked like a really nice sweater. So being soft, I'm assuming that, well, this thing's probably going to be delicate and being good looking, I kind of wondered about the actual performance. It didn't take long for me to find out that Pearly's new hugger sweaters would be something that I would wear almost every day. I mean, except for the really hot summer days. And even then I'd throw my pack for cool evenings or cool days if it was raining or something like that. I mean, this thing is amazing. It's made of 20% New Zealand possum fur. 70% merino wool and 10% silk. And when I got this thing, it was cold outside. So I put it in rotation with my regular merino sweater to figure I'd wear one one day and the other the next. Well, I didn't end up wearing my old sweater anymore. I only wore the Pearly's Hugger. I wore it every single day and I wore it for everything. I mean, working in outdoors activities. I mean, everything. I washed it to death. And months later, after the abuse of working in it, riding in it, getting it dirty, using it, I mean, every day, I'm not exaggerating, I went to my son-in-law's one day, and when I arrived there, he asked me if I got a new sweater. And it sort of took me by surprise, because this thing has been through hell and back. And it hit me how durable this thing has been. I have used and abused the sweater, and it still looks like a new sweater. Amazing material, incredible performance, and I mean performance because it will keep you warm and snug under your riding jacket, but you can also use it every day. So it's incredible value. Imagine if your motorcycle jacket would be worn as a regular jacket. I mean, that would be great, right? You spend all the money on the jacket and you can wear it every day. Well, the the hugger, the Pearly's hugger is for riding. Yes, absolutely. But it's also for every other activity you would do, including going out for dinner. This thing is absolutely amazing the Pearly's Hugger. You get it at pearlyspossumsocks.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'spossumsocks.com. Moto Camp Nerd is a one-stop shop for us riders interested in camping because they specialize in motorcycle camping gear. Not just dabble in it, but they live and breathe motorcycle camping. And this is a real brick-and-mortar store as well that you can ride up to, walk in, and talk to real people. Of course, loads of people order online because they aren't near the store. But the reason people are buying their camping gear from Moto Camp Nerd is because Moto Camp Nerd are riders and they are experts in motorcycle camping gear. Ben and Mary Williams are the founders and they say they're happy to help people sort out what might suit their riding style or discuss the options or the things that you should be considering when looking at motorcycle camping gear. Moto Camp Nerd stocks brand names like Nemo, Big Agnes, Sea to Summit, and they also have a ton of information on their website for motorcycle camping. The store, the physical store, is located in Archdale, North Carolina, but you can order from their extensive website at motocampnerd.com. That's motocampnerd.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Motocampnerd.com. So, so uh, we, we were talking about the, the route that you were there a little bit about the route that you took down and the fact that you planned it out and you, you had all the maps and everything to begin with. 
did that come into play? Did you end up sticking roughly to that or, or did you just like throw it away? Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't realistic to bring all the maps, you know, they, they were very nice waterproof, tear proof maps, but we just didn't have room for them. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think for Central America, because we had so much time, we ended up just going everywhere we could, you know, we, we explored a lot. And then South America at the time, Venezuela was, was kind of a no go zone. So, you know, that does put you through a string of countries heading South. Um, but as far as what we did in the countries, um, to be honest, I couldn't even remember what routes I'd looked at on the map. You know, it's, it's one thing like looking at, uh, you know, a, a map and trying to plan a route and another thing when you're actually there, um, mm. and just, and going where, where you feel like it. So, yeah, no, I think, I think we just went by the seat of our pants, you know. And how did the trip go from the, from there down? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I think it was, you know, the, we, we were already hooked on, you know, obviously hooked on this form of travel and the places it could take us and, and stuff. But I think that was the nail in the coffin. It was when we realized that, okay, you know, it's, it was not just the motorcycle. It was more of the lifestyle as a whole that we just uh, really fell in love with. But there's definitely a breaking point, you know, like closer to when we got south. Um, we had, a, you know, our tenants put their notice in. Our dog was dying. We had a dog. Um, oh. And the motorcycle broke again. Um, so we had all these things going on at once. And we weren't really taking in the travel anymore. And so that's kind of when we knew, like once we reached Ushuaia, we were like, okay, we got to tap out for a little bit. You know, we don't, we like spent all our money on repairing the bike. And so we had to get back and deal with the house and wanted to see our dog before he went. And Mm -hmm. because Ushuaia would be, you know, for many if you imagine it, it would be the, it's the end of the, your route. It's the goal. If you want to call it that it should be this euphoric time, you know, you get there and you're so excited and everything, but that, that wasn't what you guys had there. You, you were kind of burnt out and like sort of ready to, to go. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. There was some, you on know, one hand. Yes. On, it was, it was, it was both. It was that, but it was also the start of something else. Like it was also excitement. Like, like we knew that we were going to keep doing this and it was just like, all right, we need to go back. We need to take care of some things and, and we're going to do this again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like definite challenges along the way. Um, but by that point, you know, things had just mounted to a point where we knew it was time for, a, you know, we, we'd completed the continent as well. So, you know, we were due for switching it up, I guess. So you said you're going to head back home at this point. You're shipping your 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 dead bike home, uh, <laughs> the bike that's cost you so much money that's eaten into your savings. You mentioned there that your renters were were moving out, so that's going to leave you without that income from them. What was the plan at that point? How are you going to sort this out, and and how are you going to extend things? Um, well, I guess the first step was sorting the house out, which was, um, you know, just. For the record, you know, it wasn't income either, you know, so not that we thought it would be when we were traveling, it was more just the long term, right? You know, if we could even be cost neutral on, on things, that would be great. But, you know, it turned out that we were spending at least $10,000 a year just to maintain the house. 
So and this it wasn't is, a good rental. No. So so yeah, the first step though was was sorting out the house, just you know, getting it, uh, you know, whatever needed fixing, get some new tenants in there. Um, you know, we had no intention of moving back in at that point. Um, so yeah, just getting some people in the house, and then yeah, just kind of figuring out what we wanted to do for work. I guess reconnecting with friends and family and stuff was high on the list as well. Um, well, and then you know, KTM thankfully re- refunded us some of the money from the repairs. Um, oh, because it was under warranty, was it? Well, no. well, the the problems started like right from the beginning. So the problems started when it was under warranty. So, you know, KTM's great. They have amazing service shops around the world. Um, so they, they warrantied everything all the way through, even after the warranty had expired. But then, you know, wow. eventually we ran into one shop. Um, we ended up having to spend like $5,000 on a shock for the bike. Oh, so, man. and this is, this is at the tail end of the trip in Argentina. And it was, um, yeah, so almost a trip ender. It was almost a trip ender at that point, you know. But we really yeah. still wanted to make it to Ushuaia, and um, but but KTM Canada ended up uh, covering that cost as well. So, which is when we <laughs> decided to travel across Canada um, and just take a time out from the chaos of coming home and figure out what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. And that took you to the East Coast, which you were talking about before, and yeah. you're sitting camping on the on the East Coast. What do you decide at that point? Um, well, I guess it was kind of the realization. That, okay, yeah, we, we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere else. We didn't know where yet. We just we wanted to continue the lifestyle, um, but you know, obviously, we got to make some money and and finance this. So we set ourselves a financial goal, and then thought about okay, what what's the best way to to achieve this? Well, one is keeping your living costs down. So I mean. We decided, well, we're not going to rent a house or nothing. We're going to live like uh, gypsies, I guess. And so we bought a, a truck and a fifth wheel camper. So, you know, I could have tools. We could have the bikes. We could. Um, yeah. And then we could move around the island while we were still working. Yeah, for sure. So then, and then, yeah, we, we basically just picked a town on the on the map, I guess. You know, basically like on the other side of the country made our way there and just kind of set up shop for a little bit. And While you were on the East Coast there, you were camped on a beach. A busload of tourists comes up. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. We were sitting having a picnic um, and yeah, there was a busload of elderly people doing a tour and and now I can't remember the exact things they all said, but I, you know, one had a heart attack or or something and they you know, cause I was like, Oh, you're doing like, they were praising us and us doing it at such a young age. And I was trying to like make them feel better about that, their travels. And I was like, well, you're doing it now. You're doing it now too. And that one girl was like, I, you know, I almost didn't get to come. I had a heart attack, you know, a month ago. And the other guy was like, I can't even walk down to the rocks to look at them because I, you know, and. Yeah, I guess it was kind of just a confirmation to what we had already been thinking that like yeah like you know now's the time to be doing this kind of stuff um you know and if we can if we can make it happen then why wouldn't we right and Mm -hmm. you know at this at this point we still you know this was still a dream you know we were very ambitious with it you know the first trip or the first leg of the journey i guess um 
you know, that took years to, to plan for, but, um, but so now we're setting out this ambitious goal that like, we're going to, we're going to make this happen. It's going to be just a short little blip and, and we'll be back on the road. Um, you know, like time is not awarded to us. You have to be, you have to carve it out yourself. And so, you know, we're just making a point to make the time now and not hope that we'll get it later. Mm-hmm. Do, do you ever run across the other group of people that will come and say, you know, you're young, you should be putting down roots and you should be planning for your future. And uh, you, do you run into those people? Honestly, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people will ask like, oh, what are you going to do? But not saying that we should. Mm-hmm. No, you know what? Honestly, it's more the flip side of it. Many people have come up to us and said, I wish I did this when I was your age. Um, yeah. You know, it's, and like, that's not to say we don't think about the future. I mean, I think we've always, um, you know, been pretty financially smart and stuff like that. So, and I don't think, you know, like we don't have a lot of elderly people to go to who are doing this to say, Hey, did you regret it? You know? So, I mean, talk to me in 40 years and I'll let you know if I have any regrets, but you know, sometimes you can't, you just don't know. You have no idea how life is going to work out anyway. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's really um, a bit of a crapshoot either way, I think. Well, here, let me put it this way. I remember when we were in South America and I said to Bren one day, you know what? If I were to die tomorrow, I would be okay with that. Because like in the sense that like, I'm really happy right now and I'm living my life the way I want to be living. And then when we were in Canada, we were working our butts off. I had four jobs. I, you know, before COVID happened, I had worked 33 days straight. When it happened, I was like, oh, thank God I can have a day off. Like, and I worked myself to depression, really. Like, and I said to Bren one night when I was in a really low point, and I was like, I'm actually scared to, di- like, if I were to die tomorrow, I don't want to die when my life is like this. And I, you know, that sounds really morbid, but like, Death was has been a, a very big theme, and our, our, we've had a lot of young people in our lives die, and so it just feels. I mean, we're all going to die one day, you know. It just we none of us know when, but you know, like when I'm traveling and living like this, like I just am so happy in my life. Yeah. So you've you've got the the fifth wheel camper, your truck. This is a, a way to build up money, and what is the plan at this point? Um. Yeah, so I guess it was primarily well to keep, uh, yeah, to keep our living costs down. But it was also a little bit of a mental security blanket, knowing that we could just roll on out of where we were. If, you know, if, if you get tired, we didn't of like it. it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like you know, the thought of a you know a stationary existence. I mean, we had just spent two years like touring around, and you know, at this point, I even started getting a little. Um, anxious if I was indoors for too long. So, you know, so that was a big thing. Just keep keeping this, you know, semi-nomadic lifestyle going was, was nice. Uh, but yeah, so then we go to Vancouver Island and, and now having a 35 foot fifth wheel jammed full of stuff was, you know, felt like we were in a castle, you know, we had been living yeah. in a tent on a motorcycle. So, so a hammock, yeah, you know, we had a canoe strapped to the roof. And so now we got like this abundance of hobbies that we hadn't had for a long time. So, um, yeah, so so we just kind of get into a routine, you know, we start working and 
you know, at the time it was, it was welcome. You know, we just, we had a kitchen again. We had, you know, we had our own space, you know, so the work. Hot water. Hot water. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, <laughs> and the change of scenery too, you know, so we were still moving around locally while we were working, um, you know, as well as exploring some new hobbies and stuff. Um, but the primary goal was, you know, keeping the, the financial output to a minimum and, and saving and saving and, you know, watching the bank account grow was, was kind of, uh, you know, addicting is, you know, all of a sudden one month, two months, three months and eight months in, and we've made our one year goal. And we're like, uh, well now, now it's all bonus time. Um, and at this point, like Kyra had mentioned, you know, we're, we're into the COVID years and we couldn't really go anywhere even if we wanted to. So so we just kept working and, you know, and then eventually much like that first trip, eventually we set a date where like, you know what, on, I don't know, it was like a March 25th or something. And I didn't even look at the calendar. I didn't realize it was even midweek. Um, you know, <laughs> we're just, we just picked a date and this was, you know, six months, you know, prior we're like, okay, we, we need to pick a date no matter what we're going somewhere because, you know, we had been working probably a little too much, not a very healthy balance. And, uh, yeah. So when that date came, you know, both our bosses were good about it, but, um, you know, my boss is a little confused as to why I wasn't even going to finish out the week. And I was like, I'm sorry, I, I picked a date, you know, I gotta, I gotta honor this, this date I set for myself. So, yeah. Why was that important? I mean, why not just say, okay, we'll just change it up for a few days. Well, because it's, I mean, yeah, maybe I could have for a few days, but it was more on a principle because I think it's too easy to, you know, especially when you're balancing your time with, you know, watching the bank account grow, like, well, you know, hey, like, why not put in another two weeks and make another yeah. this or let's put in another month or, and then, you know, it just drags on and on. And the data you know. is so, I mean, you've probably heard that lots of interviewing many people, how important the oh. date is. And in my own life as well. I mean, yeah. doing the same sort of thing. Yeah. Sticking to it. Just say, nope, that's what we said we'll do and we're going to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it really, you know, aside from points where, you know, we we're working too much um, and getting a little stressed about that, I, I think it was, it was a really good confirmation that, you know, hey, like this can be done in a, you know, relatively short amount of time. So it, it really eased up our mindset around money money and the finances and, you know, where on that first leg of the journey, I would be stressing about things that, you know, right from the beginning, like when the bank account was full, I would stress about small costs um, when I didn't need to. You mean like if the vehicle broke down or something like that? Yeah. If you'd have some little hiccup in your plan or you couldn't mm. find a, you know, the weather was terrible and you couldn't find a you know, decently cheap hotel or something, you know, just stressing about the little things. Um, but now I don't even stress about the big things. Like it, it's just not worth it. You know, I can make more money down the road and. We'll just start over, you know, mm -hmm. it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't bother you coming back and starting over that the thought of that. Um, I honestly don't think we would do it again in the same manner. Um, that was a little bit too much, you know, on the one extreme side of things. I, but no, it doesn't doesn't bother me. I mean, I realize mm -hmm. that eventually we'll have to, to work again. But I mean, still, it's, you know, we're two years into this leg of the journey. And, you know, there's no end in sight. I mean, you know. 
How, how do you mean it was too a little extreme? Well, just too much work. I mean, maybe not so much for me, not but, for you, but, yeah. um, but for Kyra working the multiple jobs and uh, it yeah. was, it was harder for me. I mean, I work in office administration, you know, with Bren's career, there's a need for it. And so he can go anywhere and basically interview companies to pick from uh, where for me, um, in the office admin area, they very much need experience. And, um, so I was doing office administration, um, but I got that job through a friend. Um, but I was doing everything. Like I was, you know, we were living off my income and saving all Bren's income. You know, I was working as a brand ambassador for Harley Davidson. I was doing brand ambassador for alcohol. So, you know, like the samples at the liquor store, any, like I was helping at roofing jobs, cleaning up debris, like anything I would do to make more money. Like I was just, you know, I was so determined to do it again and I wanted to do it again. And so I just, I am like very determined. And so like it took COVID to happen for me to stop working so much. And like, um, I was only three months into working at that point, you know, I would had just had my head down and I was go, go, go and not realizing how burnt out I was. Wow. Yeah. That's a, I mean, I I guess it's worth it now. Like when you're on the bikes and you're on your adventure, then it can feel worth it. But I can imagine the stress before you're going, uh, working that hard to do it in a short period of time. You, you, you did what? You bought these two Honda motorcycles and you did what? Um, so yeah, we got these bikes, which I had been looking into for a while. Um, and not so easy to find either. So this was a bit of a project as well. You know, in my spare time, I was getting them ready for travel, you know. And I had to learn how to ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's oh, right, learning how you to didn't ride. have a, you didn't, you, you weren't riding. You were pillion up till then. You didn't have your bike license. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? You took lessons for that? Um, yeah. Bren gave me lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. they well, say she- that's the worst thing that you can do is take lessons from, from your, your partner? Uh, yes and no. Bren's a good teacher. There were certain things that he had difficulty explaining to me because he's been riding his whole life. But I would just like, when we were out for dinner with people, I would be like, oh, you know, I'm having trouble with this. And, and somebody would explain it to me in a different way. And I would be able to get it um but yes. no brands yeah sometimes a different person saying the exact same thing uh, <laughs> sinks in a little better um but but no kyra had previous dirt bike experience and, and stuff so i mean you know my i don't know i i think my tactic has always been you know you, you learn the off-road first um you know maybe that's because that's where i learned how to ride is more off-road um but my theory is that, you know, like once you get to know the, you know, the function of the bike and all the mechanics of operating the bike first, then when you get on the road, you can focus on the traffic and, and the hazards and everything like that. So that was kind of what we did with Kyra as well. We just, we just started hitting trails and, and mountains and, and going, you know, off-road riding as much as possible. And then by the time she got on the road, well, now she could think about the traffic and yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it's almost a shame that they don't do that for motorcycle training because you also learn to handle the bike. You're mm-hmm. handling it in the, in the extreme. So when you're on the road, if you know, your back end slides out a bit, you're not so freaked out by that because you've already had that happen in dirt. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what is your bike that you're riding? I have an XR250L Honda. XR250L. 
And Brendan, you're on an XR650? Yeah, XR650R. What's yeah. the difference between the R and the L? Uh, there's a huge gap in the fun factor, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the R is built more of a like an off-road race bike. So it's a lot lighter, a lot more horsepower, uh, a lot less practical for long-term travel. I like what you said there at the end, a lot less practical. So why did you choose that um, for long-term travel? I've always been a little tainted, I would say, by, um, yeah, horsepower and uh, and just performance, I guess. I mean, you know, most of the machines I've had in the past uh, reflect that as well. So. Mm, so, so that's why you decide to put up with whatever downsides there are for travel, for the performance you get from it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which is not a bad thing because it makes the ride more fun if that's what you're into. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think no matter what, you're going to be into some some maintenance and, you know, every machine has its own quirks that you're going to have to put up with. So, um, you know, I also want to have the fun while it's working properly. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. Giant Loop believes that lighter and simpler is better and that how we ride shouldn't be dictated by what's strapped on the bike and that riding is just plain more fun when unnecessary weight and bulk are removed. So that's what Giant Loop does. They eliminate elements, focusing on what's needed to serve the product's mission, which means no extra straps or buckles, no everything in the kitchen sink designs. Instead, each product is purpose-built to enhance the riding experience for those that want a modular and customizable packing system that's durable, stable, intuitive, and lightweight. And remember, Giant Loop was founded by a rider, Harold Cecil, who was after building a better luggage system for himself and his friends before it became a company. So that tells you something about the roots of Giant Loop. GiantLoopMoto.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. GiantLoopMoto.com. IMS Products is owned by Scott Wright. Now, Scott is not only a serious adventure rider, he is a former Baja 1000 winner. So that gives you an idea of where the passion behind IMS and their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs comes from. I want to walk you through some of these series, three series of pegs right now. The ADV series, they're the largest ones. The ADV series foot peg is designed specifically for adventure riding, a larger platform, both wider and longer. It gives you the benefits of that wider contact patch on your boot that reduces stress on your feet, your legs, and your hips, and it gives you a lot of control over the bike. The bike really responds to your inputs, and it's great for a heavy bike in particular. The next one is the Rally Pegs. The IMS Products Rally Pegs are a more aggressive, tall tooth design, a wider platform than your stock foot peg would be. It uh, better distributes the rider's weight, and it helps with lean angle, and it greatly improves the overall handling and control of the motorcycle. So whether you're a casual racer, a desert racer, or an aggressive adventure motorcycle rider, the IMS Rally Foot Peg will give you maximum performance and grip. Core Enduro. Now the Core Enduro Foot Peg, this is the peg that I have on my bike. I love this peg. It takes your adventure to the next level. You go longer, harder, and faster with this wider base and aggressive uh, tooth design on it. These are a smaller foot peg than the ADV series, but they're very aggressive and they really plant your feet no matter what's around the next corner. So 
if you're an aggressive rider and you ride tight technical things, this may be the peg for you. So there you have it. The ADV series for fire roads, highways, long distance, sort of wide platforms. The rally series, an aggressive wide foot pegs that'll take your ride to the next level. And then the core enduro pegs for the more technical, aggressive rider, right through to racing, I guess. IMS products, they're made in the USA. They're warranted for life. You can't go wrong. IMSproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So you you got these two bikes and what what's the plan? Well, so, you know, I guess, yeah, like I said, we set this date, um, but the whole you know, the whole COVID shipping thing and countries that are open, countries that are closed, this was still all very much up in the air. So we didn't really have much of a plan. You know, maybe we had like five loose plans. Um, you know, initially thought, okay, maybe we're going to start in Eastern Russia or maybe Southeast Asia, or, you know, we wanted to start on one end of the continent, essentially, um, you know, either Asian continent or European continent, just so we could work in one general direction or travel in one general direction. Mm -hmm. But, you know, things kind of kept falling through and countries are changing their, their restrictions. That was later. That Mm -hmm. was, yeah, that was after we left already. Um, But so anyways, yeah, we couldn't really make a plan, you know, even though we wanted to. So I'm talking with freight forwarders, you know, at the same time, looking at different uh, restrictions and countries and stuff. And then, kind of some things aligned and you know we found some cheap shipping option to greece and um greece had very loose restrictions at the time you know canada's going into 20th wave of lockdowns at this point and oh you left during that time oh yeah yeah we're we're going the date was set (laughs) yeah so you know so again this was much easier this time to just unplug from life because we just had a truck and trailer so you know our things we had in the in the camper, we just went and put those back in storage at our house. Oh, actually, you know, I'm missing a key, <laughs> a very crucial part of our journey here. We were set to leave in August of 2021. <laughs> yeah. And when our tenants found out we were leaving, they told us that they were moving out. Yeah. Uh, so this is the second set. This yeah. is, yeah. Well, yeah, we've been on a few sets, but this was, this was, they'd been in there for a the whole time we were back in Canada. So, oh, I see. And you think yeah. you've got this all sewed up and this is all working yeah. fine. You're ready to go. And then the bomb. Yeah, drops. exactly. Yeah. So we downsized, you know, so it was easy to, to sell the camper and the truck and all this stuff. Um, but then this happens and we just decided, well, we really did not like being landlords out of the country. It's a massive headache. It costs us a bunch of money and the timing just couldn't have been better. You know, the, COVID did something real crazy to the housing market and oh, yeah. and we we lived in a desirable area I guess so we decided to yeah sell. so we just sold the house I mean it it was really easy decision actually we knew we'd never want to live there again and financially it was it was feasible mm-hmm. um now again like we know you know that it was you know we had just worked our butts off and saved all this money you know a year and a half of of working, you know, set us up for multiple years of travel. Um, but now selling the house, I know a lot of people probably look at it like, oh, you know, they sold their house, now they can travel. Um, but I mean, 
it is at the same sense. It is a, you know, we have a safety net, you know, so whenever we do want to settle down again, we have money to buy a new house. Um, Mm, yeah, it's it's peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah, It's peace of mind, I guess. But I guess the point is that, um, you know, we said to ourselves right at the beginning, like this isn't travel money, you know, like this is, this is for later in life, you know, this is our retirement. Oh, that's really smart. Wow. Cause it would have been really easy. Well, first of all, it would have been a sort of disappointing to think that, well, what do we work so hard for when we've got this massive <laughs> chunk of money now we can spend, but very forward thinking of you guys to say, to recognize right off the bat that you're not going to spend that money that you, that you mm-hmm. need to put that aside. Um, that, that would have been an easy trap. I think for most of us to fall into, just think you've got extra money. Wow. What a, what a great vacation. Well, and I think this is an important time to add that like on our first travels, like Brett and I didn't just go blow all our money traveling. Like we have always had one foot in the future, like thinking ahead about the future. And we knew that we didn't want to come back to Canada completely broke. So when we were saving over that two to three years, we actually put a chunk of money aside in um to a savings account mm-hmm. so that we had a little bit of money to buy a vehicle so like uh, we, we had a business so we had a work van plus we both had vehicles so we took that money and we put it into it a separate account and then when we came back we bought the truck and trailer with that money and so we've been using that money to like rotate into a saving not to use for traveling because you know we we don't want to come back and have like zero dollars like what do we live with our parents like we mm-hmm. also don't don't want that. So we do think of the future in that mm-hmm. sense. That's important to us. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that was a bit of a small wrench in the plans that I think worked out in our favor in the long run. So yeah, so now we had sold everything we're, we're supposed to be leaving, but then we had to get everything ready to sell the house. Um, so yeah, no, we, we just sold the house and it turned out to be, you know, really great decision because now not having any major ties to Canada like that, you know, other than friends and family is, uh, it's quite nice. Um, Yeah. Then we landed in Greece and yeah, I mean, we just, we were back to just touring and like new country, you know, exploring new places, doing what we love. Um, but, but still no plan, you know, we didn't really know, okay, now we're in Greece. What's next? We didn't, you know, didn't think we were going to be in Greece. Well, I kind of picked that up from what you're saying there because you said, you know, you're looking at these different places to go and then you've found you could get to Greece. And so well, you go to Greece. I mean, it yeah. doesn't sound very unplanned and um, adventurous. Yeah, well, th- and we're going into winter. So we're like, <laughs> okay, so a lot of these countries are going to be closed in, in a couple mm-hmm. months. Yeah. So, I mean, it was probably like a three-week turnaround by the time this Greece Avenue opened up and we were actually there. So it happened relatively quick. Um, but then we just started, you know, I didn't know much about the Balkan countries. I didn't even know. Like, if you would have asked me before, where are the Balkans? I wouldn't have been able to show you on a map. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we just started, yeah, touring around the Balkans. You know, we went to Albania, Montenegro, Croatia, like all these Balkan countries. Went up as far north as Slovenia. Then we started zigzagging back down. And, you know, next thing you know, we'd spend like 10 months just touring around the Balkans. Wow. What, what are you looking for when you're out there traveling? What what sort of experience do you go for? Um, time spent in nature, you know, um, just kind of getting off the beaten path into super wild places, um, living with the sun and 
Yeah, I mean, this the time to, you know, explore not just like the landscapes and the places and the new cultures, but, you know, explore your own interests and your thoughts. Like we do a lot of reading and just, you know, wherever Contemplation. you're... Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, living this lifestyle, we there there's a lot of time that just gets spent on the daily, you know, the pack up, the you know, finding your food and your water and, and all this stuff, finding where you're going. Like we don't generally know where we're going until the, the day of. So, you know, you find your next spot and, um, dealing you know, with challenges as they come up. Yeah. The constant bike maintenance. And, you know, so there are things that fill the, fill the time up. And then beyond that, yeah, we're just trying to see the world, live a, I don't know, like a, I wouldn't call it a relaxed life. It's certainly not a vacation, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's a life where we're free to choose to do what we want with our time. Because I think for those who haven't done anything like this, it's it's tough to realize that those, well, simple things, just like even making a meal is a lot more difficult when you're camping. I mentioned hot water, you know, about coming back to hot water, because I know that feeling of not having hot water from a tap for so long. And then actually where, where I would notice is if you go in somewhere and you run the water, you know, in a washroom or something like that, and there's hot water, it's like, wow, this is great, yeah. you know? So th- that sort of stuff just takes up so much more time, but it is living your life. Like it's doing the real things that I guess we pay other people to do if you're, you know, if you're living a different sort of lifestyle and, and you're just doing everything for yourself. That takes time. I think that's one of like, the benefits or things I get most from travel is like, yes, that is what it's like. And it makes me appreciate the little things so much more, you know, Mm -hmm. when you do get a hot shower after a week in the mountains, it is glorious. Or if someone you're on a trail and someone gives you a loaf of bread, it's like the greatest piece of bread you've ever ate in your life. You know, like everything you just, it's, you feel everything so much more deeper. Like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's just the time. Like I always come back to the the time. Like having this this free time to, yeah, like I said, explore your interests and your thoughts and and contemplate you the internal world. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't. Um, I actually really struggled with that the first year we traveled. I didn't know what to do with all that time. Um, but but now it's I really come to cherish that. You said contemplate. You you mentioned that a few minutes ago as well. What are you contemplating? Uh, well, I guess just, well, just all sorts of things. Yeah, all like, sorts of things. You know, you know yeah. that you know it's whatever's going on in the world. You know, things we saw that day. You know, what do you think about like? Well, just unpacking the you know the, the problems the, of the, the world, the places that you've been through. I mean, like maybe we're in a lot more contemplation lately because of the places we've been traveling. Um, but yeah, I don't know, just you or mean maybe, the challenge the places you've been tra- traveling in that challenge your perception of those places before you got there. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the precon preconception for sure, but also just like coming to, you know, trying to come to some form of understanding at these like extremely contrasting cultures and ways of life. And, um, yeah, yeah, it takes a it takes a bit of thought for sure. Mm-hmm. What's changed for you on this adventure that you're you're on now from the other one, as far as riding two up to having two bikes? Because two bikes has to add some 
problems to it. Obviously, you've got you've twice as, as many things that can go wrong, but you've got something for a backup. So there's pros and cons to both of them. How's that changed the way you guys are traveling? I'd say it's, it's yeah, much better. I, I like <laughs> it for sure. I mean, also simple bikes, lighter bikes. Um, you know, I, I loved my KTM for sure. And I was you know, just conditioned into that school of like these big, powerful adventure bikes. And, you know, and I would get offended if somebody called my bike heavy, almost like they're calling my wife heavy. <laughs> but, but now like, you know, I, it's like driving a school bus, you know, like having these lighter bikes, they're so capable. Like, you know, the bikes can take us, you know, anywhere that your skill can handle, the bikes can take you there. They're, they're, yeah, very capable. So I, I love that aspect of it. They're simple. You know, I can do, you know, pretty well. I haven't been stopped on anything yet. I can do all the mechanics um, myself. So, because these are two carbureted bikes w- without electronics on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Carbureted, single cylinder, zero electronic. They don't even have electric start. They're just kickstart. Um, oh, they're both kickstart. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so very, yeah, very simple, fun machines. Um, and we both arrived to a place in the same place, you know, in the sense that like on one bike, we would get somewhere and I'd be like, all right, let's go hiking. Let's go see this. Let's go do that. Cause I just didn't feel that sense of accomplishment. And now uh, when we get somewhere, I am just like, you know, I sit on the beach. I'm like, yeah, this, I'm relaxed. I feel so accomplished. I got here. It was hard work, you know, cause usually we're riding off road and I'm exhausted. And, you know, I remember the first couple of weeks on the road, it was really hot in Greece. We were riding some really tough roads. Like Bren was really pushing me out of my comfort zone and we would get to a camp and I would just pass out. I was so exhausted. And mm. Bren would like come in and be like, come on, Kara, let's go hiking. Come on, let's go do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's, that's, that's a really good point because you, you still have, I guess, lots of energy because you've been on the back. And, uh, and it's a different position, but, but, uh, so that, that's a, that's an amazing difference, but do you find any stress with that Kyra when you, because you're now responsible for your own bike and your own transportation and the bike itself? Um, I did in the beginning. I, I mean, one of the things holding me back from even riding my own bike was the fear of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, Bren is a really capable rider and we would go even on the KTM and some pretty crazy places. And I was, I loved the places we, we would go and I was worried I would miss out on experiences because I couldn't do it. Um, and, but I don't know. It's just like being on a lighter bike has made me be like, it's just, it's a lot more capable, but like I found that I am a lot more capable than I was expecting myself to be, you know, like I had all these fears, like, what if I crash the bike? What if I drop the bike? You know, and I've done all those things. <laughs> it's actually not that big of a deal. Like even in the beginning when we were riding through Greece, like I dropped the bike, oh my gosh, every couple of days, like, and I would, I, we'd be like going up these steep sections and at the time I'd be saying on my headset, like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like even while I'm doing it and friend would be kind of my positive mind and he would be like yes you can you're doing it right now and you know it was actually in Saudi Arabia we were riding through the desert and uh Bren's like you got this and I was like yeah I do and I I realized you know what I'm saying I got this a lot more than I used to (laughs) and that was probably a year and a half 
it took a long time, you know, to, for me to get that confidence on my bike. I think driving through Iraq was a huge, um, a great experience for me learning how to drive aggressively. I think that was a big, like Bren would always be like, you need to drive more aggressive in the city. And I would just be like, no, I don't No, I don't. But in Iraq, I had no choice. And I learned how to be an aggressive rider when I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that really elevated my, my riding experience, my, like my abilities after that experience. And that's what we all go through as riders. I mean, every new rider goes through all these things that you've experienced other than the fact that you've went far beyond that, the average rider, because you're riding in so many different countries and so many different conditions. But that fear, you know, of dropping, that's that's the new rider thing. And and I think that's one thing that, that is tough to, when you're experiencing that, no matter what it is new that you try in life, you seem to think that it's you and it's not. It's just, it's just the process, you know, it's the process mm-hmm. of learning. But, but Brendan, for you, What's it like for you now to be the only person on your bike? Um, it's, well, it's very different for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, it was it was definitely, a, a, I wouldn't say a challenge, but it was something to get used to, you know, traveling with two bikes because now, you know, I didn't have direct control over, you know, everywhere we were going and exactly what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, th- and that was something to get used to for sure. You know, he couldn't always drive as fast or as hard or aggressive as I wanted. Um, which now I don't find that such a, such an issue. Um, but going from a big bike to up to a small bike, um, you know, very light and powerful. I don't have somebody punching me in the back when I'm doing wheelies. And <laughs> so, so it was, I think it was great for both of us. It was a good, a good move. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're riding with all your camping gear, everything that you need, your whole world is on these bikes, correct? Mm-hmm. Out of all of this stuff, what do you think is the most important thing that you carry? The thing that you maybe cherish the most, not, not most important. Cause I mean, I'm not worried about the, the bike or keeping the bikes going, but I mean, something you, that you really cherish that you carry. Hmm. I'd have to say, I mean, that changes depending on when you would have asked me, but now I would say a very old and outdated Samsung tablet, <laughs> which is my book. It, it, it doesn't function for anything other than my book. So like just having, you know, endless supply of, of books to read is nice. So Kindle or something like that, the app on it. Yeah. Use the Libby app. So it's mm-hmm. also free. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I would say I was picking one thing because everything else can be, replaced or or bought or how about you kyra well i mean aside from having brendan with me um i i guess i would say like if it's a physical item my my journal to process my thoughts and what i'm seeing and experiencing Mm. do you have any any sort of end date or demarcation point that will signify the end of the trip Um, well, it's really hard to say, you know, like if there comes a point where we're not happy doing what we're doing, which I mean, four months ago, if you would have talked to us, we might've said that was coming up right away. Um, but, uh, you know, it could be next year. It could be the year after we're kind of just taking it day by day, you know, we have other ideas of different things. We know, I don't know if it'll be motorcycle travel forever. We are talking about sailing 
we might possibly be ready for sailing um, next. But what what happened four months ago that that was changing your mind or could have? Uh, I think it's just the the regions we found ourselves in. Um, not that it was the region specifically, but um, you know, so we went through Turkey, Iraq, Kuwait, down into the Arabian Peninsula. And then across to Iran, through Pakistan, Afghanistan, um, was our kind of latest route. Um, but just the weather was intense. The riding, you know, started pushing us out of our normal comfort zone, um, which mm. which we have a pretty big comfort zone. Um, but, you know, we're hitting like really insane temperatures, you know, months of desert and sand. And, you know, it's just it ground down our morale quite a bit. Um, you know, and then it just seemed like each country we would enter into just posed a whole new set of challenges. So we couldn't really find a respite from it. Mm-hmm. So, Do you recognize that while it's happening or is it something that it only sort of comes to a head after a while? You go, wow, I just can't take it anymore. Yeah, we do. Um, we don't always act on it right away. Like we will recognize it's happening and it will be like, when we get here, it will get better, (laughs) you know, like, so, um, you know, there was other personal things going on as well. So in February, when we were in Saudi Arabia, my other stepbrother passed away. And so that was a really, really difficult time. Um, and time, like having time to even process these things, I think has been really important you know so we were we i remember when it first happened we went into this wadi and we just you know camped for three days and i was able to just like cry and process and then we got back on the road and because he was didn't want a funeral or anything i didn't end up going home for that but uh we continued on and that's when the heat really started and then we went through iran and we it's hard for Canadians to get into Iran and uh, we had to have a guide, a mandatory guide. And we were pushing through temperatures above 50 degrees every day, riding oh, wow. three, 300 to 400 kilometers a day, which typically we do a hundred. Um, so it was just really difficult days. And then we got into Pakistan and we were under armed guard for a week, again, riding huge long days in crazy heat. And, you know, we thought, oh, once we get up into northern Pakistan, it's going to get better. And 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 we knew we needed to take breaks, longer breaks. We were traveling so fast and so like longer distances than what we do normally. And then that's when, you know, Bren's cousin passed away. And when in July, Jeez. July, and we, we were just like, you know what? We got to go home. We got to pause everything. And if we don't go home, we're not going to be able to continue on. And so we took a, we <laughs> rode <laughs> really crazy conditions. Uh, there was landslides, got to Islamabad, flew back to Canada for two months. And then uh, we came back refreshed in September and we rode through Pakistan, Afghanistan to where we are now. You mentioned being forced to take a guide and and, and underarm guard, et cetera. When you're traveling like that, and, and you also mentioned about the the speed, because obviously these these people that are escorting you are, are in vehicles. 
and it's easy for them to travel fast for, for longer distances, which I think is why motorcyclists always get pushed for this sort of thing. It's, it's my guess anyway. But do you feel that's worth it? W- was that worth the experience worth going through that with them? Um, yeah, I would say so. Cause I mean, it's kind of the price of admission, you know, if you want to drive into this area of the world, um, it's, it's just what you have to go through unless you're going to ship into here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is an experience. I mean, you know, to everything you do, having 10 guys with AK 47s around you, you know, you stop for a drink of water and you got your personal entourage of body bodyguards around you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird experience, but it's also an experience, you know, um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think if we were planning, you know, a specific route, you know, and knowing that this was going to be a section of it, yeah, it would factor in to maybe, you know, what are the alternate routes, but just where we had found ourselves, you know, it was either, well, we do this or we backtrack massively. And, you know, so we just decided, well, yeah, we'll just keep on going in, in this direction, um, which you kind of get funneled through some stuff you might not have normally done. I'm curious coming from Canada, because in Canada, you, you rarely see guns out when it comes to enforcement, you know, for police, et cetera, if you're going hunting maybe, but, but for enforcement, they, they'll have the gun maybe with them, but you certainly don't see the automatic weapons. Do you get used to that after seeing that for a while, after traveling with a bunch of people that have them all that they've got their hands on the trigger, so to speak? Do is there, is it, do you get used to it at all? Certainly. Yeah, you certainly do. I mean, yeah, through Latin America, you, you definitely see some guns around and stuff like that. But once you get into, you know, the Middle East and, and these places, it's, it's everywhere and you do get accustomed to it for sure. I think even with travel, you know, we've been traveling for a long time now and we've experienced a lot of different things. You know, it doesn't really, it's, there's not really a shock to it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think you get accustomed to your, surroundings no matter what they are and that's a strange thing to get accustomed to for sure you know seeing these conflict zones and the legacy of war playing out all around you um, you get used to change as well then to some degree like as you're going from one place to another one country to another you're having to adapt because a while ago you mentioned something about adapting to each of the country's um, rules and, and stipulation things that they have they that they enforce you get used to that change then I'm assuming that, so that's what Brendan, cause you said you sort of get used to it. You're not so much used to something you don't know, but you're used to the, uh, the fact that you have to change a little bit as you move from place to place. Yeah, that's exactly right. You, you know, you get used to the change and I actually look forward to the change. You know, I find that, um, when you've been in a country for too long, I like to get to the the next one and just all of a sudden have this, this new situation to deal with. And, you know, you get kind of addicted to that. The novelty. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Do you miss routine at all? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It comes and goes. I mean, sometimes we're craving some routine and some stability, um, but there's also ways to find that, you know, when you're still on the move and on the road. And I think it's important when you are traveling long-term, you know, when, you're going on a six month trip. It's easier to push yourself every single day. Like I have to go, I have to go. I only have a short amount of time, but when you have a lot more time, like for us anyways, um, it is very important that we do make time to find a place for a week or two weeks even, and have a little bit of routine and cook our own meals and, you know, do some workouts or, you know, go for walks, you know, just have a, a routine to do some other things so that we 
don't burn ourselves out like we did this past four months. Um, you know, always finding that balance is really the key. How much has, um, has social media played a part for you guys for travel? Um, I think how I used it the first time around is different than how I use it now. Um, how so? I, in the first couple of years, I think I, you know, I had the blog and I was sharing every day, whatever, you know, like, I don't know if I really, you know, we had some sponsors and I was kind of pushing for this, like, you know, I'm going to make an income doing this. And I really didn't like it. I, I really did not like blogging. I didn't like having sponsorships at all because I just, I had the commitment and they would tell me I have to take a picture like this or, you know, um, I, and then, um, I don't know. I don't know how to, where yeah. this, it's like now it's just like, I like, we write, we write for a, uh, a magazine for some income and stuff. And, and that's great. I love telling stories, but I didn't like blogging. Like ever, it seems like everyone's doing that nowadays. Like it's so watered down. Like, um, and I just like the freedom of being able to travel at my own pace. I, I think, um, yeah, as far as like, just like strictly the social media goes, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's definitely not my realm. No. Um, I, I, I could, you know, there wouldn't be, you know, all this photography and all this stuff that we do share if it wasn't for Kyra. Uh, which I'm very grateful for. Um, you know, she's an amazing photographer and it's a great place to share the photos. It's also a great place to stay connected with friends and family. And, you know, it's, you know, so many people seem to, to use that medium to connect nowadays, um, you know, as well as meet other travelers. And so I think as long as we're using it for the tool, you know, the positive tool that it can be, it's great. But I mean, as far as like I was saying, like, trying to chase down a stream of income from it you know that's that's just not our thing most people like it felt like i had to be this like i had to pick this like niche thing to do you know like even like oh what's your story well we're not doing this for some sort of um we're not a brand we're not trying to sell anything we're not like you know it's or you know like we're not trying to go around the world or go to every country in the world or um some sort of cause or any sort of cause you know I sort of got that right from the start because because when we started talking here, you know, you guys said what was like you had no reason necessarily why are you traveling? You know, you weren't trying to do something, and we talked about that, and and I thought that was very notable because often you know, and there's nothing wrong with one way or the other. I'm I'm not begrudging anyone of of how they want to do it, but it's just interesting that that you guys are on your own quest for yourselves. Yeah, yeah, you know, well, it's, um, that's what the social media was trying to say. I felt like people kept telling me, you have to pick a niche if you want to make it or, you know, make it as a photographer. And I was like, well, I'm not a niche, though. I have so many things I like and want to explore. And like, I like photographing all sorts of things. I don't like just photographing a motorcycle or me cooking dinner. You know, I want to photograph towns and, and landscapes and wildlife and, and, in the first few years I kept being, you know, it it seemed like, you know, and the social media thing too, the first couple of years, like I was trying to get away from this, like, you know, comparison, like, Oh, you know, 
like who's got the bigger house or who's got the bigger car or or best TV. And then it seems like once I actually started traveling and kind of getting into this social media um, realm, it was like people just traded that, like the cars and houses and TVs became likes, comments and and Patreon pages. And it was just like mm-hmm. always comparing. And I was like, this is what we were all trying to escape. But really, like we've just switched it for something else. And I just, I really didn't want to like fall back into that. Like, you know, you know, Uh and it's just stressful. It's very stressful, very time consuming. And, you know, when we really, you know, not to say that we ever, we we knew early on, we didn't want to make a job out of it. Um, Uh It just didn't feel like the right path for us. And I, I think we know a lot of friends who are going down that road and, and that's fine, you know, each to their own. And I think uh, there's space for everybody there, but yeah, it just wasn't for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if you're not doing it, it's certainly easier to enjoy your days. And, and like Kyra said, you know, photograph what you want to photograph and not feeling obligated. And by the way, I, I, your photographs are incredible. You do a great job. Obviously you're, you're saving those up for some use down the road. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we do write for a magazine, like I said, and, and, I mean, that's when I started getting people wanting to like hire us to write articles and use my photography. I was like, well, why would I blog? I don't even love it and I'm not making any money off of it. And, you know, it's no commitment. You know, we write an article when we feel like writing an article or we have time and that works for us, you know, and it helps with some of the bigger costs like shipping or um, unexpected repairs or something like that. But I mean, photography, like, I love photography, like Bren likes motorcycles. Like I just, I love it. Like I have hard drives upon hard drives of photos I've never shared. You know, I just get so much joy from like waking up at sunrise and going to walk the streets with my camera. So yeah, I just don't Mm -hmm. even really need to use them for anything. It's just the, the joy I get from learning how to do photography and how to use light and capturing a candid moment. I love that. That's like, you know, the purest uh, form of motivation, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no uh, surefire way to ruin something you love than by monetizing it. <laughs> Kyra, Brendan, it's been so great to talk to you and, and get some of your story. Thank you very much. And, and I hope we talk again down the road. Thanks. Thanks for yeah, having us. Thanks for having us. It was great chatting. I was speaking with Kyra and Brendan Hack riding in Tajikistan amidst their ongoing motorcycle adventure around the world. Kyra and Brendan are also known as the Adventure Hacks. Their website is adventurehacks.com. Of course, we've got that link in the show notes along with some great photos from them of their adventures all in the show notes for this episode at our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio.
that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you. Thank you for being a part of the show by listening to it. Hey, if you have an idea, a topic, a person that you think you that would make a great interview, we'd love to hear about it. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on the form, send us your message. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. Hey, before you go, let me just remind you that we have another show that we do that comes out once a month. It's called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. You can find it anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. Of course, you can find it all at our website as well, adventureriderradio.com. But it comes out the 21st of each month, which means that from today, it's only a couple of days away. So very likely when you're hearing this, a new episode of Raw is out. Make sure you drop by and check that out as well. And if you haven't done it already, we'd love to get a five-star rating from you, a review for wherever you're finding your podcast, whether it be Podbean or iTunes or Spotify. That helps other people find the show. We'd appreciate that greatly. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jim Martin. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is David Huff. Um, I'm a motorcycle journalist of many years, and uh, uh, I'm talking to you on Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 